What is up? What is good? Happy Wednesday. Oh, my God. How? Hey, how are you? Uh, Adam Lefko here. Apparently, my voice does not like me right now. I have Russell Joy, Joy on Broad. Kyle will be joining us in a second. Russ, I didn't realize that, one, your wife is a loyal listener, and two, she knows how I start the show. I didn't realize I start the show the same way every Monday. Yeah, it's yeah, true. It's we true. always have a, a bit of a, a wager going on in our in our house about, is it going to be a what is up? Is it going to be a what is good? What's going on? And she pretty much nails it every time. And and sadly for me, you've pretty much started it the same way uh, every time for the past two or so weeks. So, uh, Which has I, been I'm what? What have I been doing? You've been doing a lot of the what is up, what is going on. Not so many of the... Uh, the other one. Now I don't even remember what it was. Doesn't matter. It's good to know the joys are taking track and finding joy in my weird openings. So that's awesome. Uh, Russ, before Kyle gets back, you know, man, when the when the parents are away, the kids shall play. Uh, Phillies, Reese Hoskins does it again last night. Seventh inning, big old double. But two nights ago... Knocking down Clayton Kershaw. Uh, I saw, let, let's combine these worlds. The Flyers had, what was the event that they had? Was it a scrimmage? Um, they had their rookie game on Monday against the uh, the Islanders. And, and then I saw Claude Giroux throughout the first pitch last night. Yeah, and uh, so not to get off too, on too much of a uh, Flyers tangent, because I know, I, I don't know how prepared everybody is for this, but... um. One of the biggest takeaways yesterday uh, that they had in a practice was that Claude Giroux was on a line with uh, Sean Couturier and Jake Boracek, and they had Giroux playing left wing. When he was drafted in 06 by the Flyers, he was drafted as a right wing. He played there up until, I think, through the Stanley Cup run in uh, 2010, and then became exclusively a center after that. And so there's been like a little bit of intrigue in Flyer circles about does this mean that they're starting to admit that Giroux cannot carry the load as, as a center? Ooh. Um, you, know, you know, so there's, so there's like, like that kind of uh, intrigue of some sort. I, I, I don't was, really put uh, much into it. but well, I, You know what I put a lot of stock into? The fact that Claude Giroux threw out the first pitch in sandals, which I'm not a huge violation guy, but that image was like he was wearing the thong sandals. And throw out the first pitch. Can't do that. If Joel Embiid ever throws out the first pitch, do, do we just assume that he's going to be barefoot? Because every picture we've seen of him this offseason has been bare feet. Sounds uh, good. Can't go out there in sandals, though. Yeah. So <coughs> there have been some interesting things going on in Philly sports um, outside of the Eagles. You know, here we are on a Wednesday. And I'm, I'm kind of like the counter-programming guy who doesn't always want to talk about uh, the same thing on Wednesday that we talked about on Monday or get quite into that preview that we do on Friday. So if nothing else, it's been interesting to watch uh, the way that the Phillies have been setting up to see if there's a little bit of intrigue on the Flyers side of things. Um, man, I, okay, just one last thing on the Flyers. Uh, you get it, one it, it, last right. thing. Because Kyle's going to come back and like be like, the union. It's going to be... Oh, I'm not. I'm just saying that Kyle's going to come back and go, y'all didn't talk about Eagles-Giants for the first six minutes. He'll probably delete He'll this. Probably delete this. Um, so, so pretty much, uh, I guess this is the bi- the biggest deal. So um, names that you want to watch if you are a Flyers fan or even if you're a casual fan are Travis Sanheim, Phil Myers, Sam Moran, and Robert Haig. And right now it looks like Sam Moran and even Robert Haig might make the team. Myers and Sanheim were the guys that had the turnovers that led the goals in that. Are these guys, like, really good? Yeah, yeah Sanheim, Sanheim is, 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 like, potentially, potentially an elite. But they're not, they're not Reese Hoskins. Nick Williams, Aaron Altair, good. Sandheim could be better, but maybe not right now. Uh, it seems like he kind of got in his own head. Sam Moran is kind of like the the sort of player that you would want to see the Flyers have if you're a Broad Street Bullies kind of fan. Uh, I think he's 6'5". Moran? Or, All right, yeah. I'll, I'm going to be a Moran fan. He's like a big bruiser and, and very interesting to watch. So anyway, they have some intrigue going on. The season starts in a few weeks for them, which is really exciting. Um, but Hoskins, man. Hoskins last night, so going into the game, there were people who were kind of taking the the ridiculous view of, 
it had been, I think, 13 at-bats that he had gone without an extra base hit. And this is why I don't like people. People were starting to uh, say, oh, man, maybe he's coming down to earth. Maybe pitchers are finally getting a book on him. And no, like, you just can't continue at the torrid pace that he was on. So last night he goes into an at-bat in the seventh inning. Uh, it's a 10-pitch at-bat. He saw 10 straight fastballs uh, from the pitcher, which was uh, pretty intense. And then, he, like you said, it was against Pedro Baez, hitting, throwing like 98 miles an hour on the fastball, 10 straight, and then good old Reese goes up there and crushes the ball, breaks the game open. You're beating, that's two wins, two consecutive nights against the best team in baseball. And like you said, on Monday, they beat Clayton Kershaw. Like, you could say what you want about if the Phillies long-term or even in the short-term are, are a, a decent team, but some of the stats that have come out post-All-Star break they're in second or third in the NL in practically every statistical category, hitting the ball. It is not a coincidence that what we are viewing with these young players, it like it's it's not like you're getting a skewed view. When we go and get excited about Reese playing really well, or Altair, or Nick Williams, or even uh, Alfaro, even J, uh, uh, J.P. Crawford, yeah, who was making, fantastic, who's been making ridiculous plays at third base. You know, Kyle's the guy who always says it's so hard to play third base, and you know, God forbid we ever, you know, take Michael Franco out, or God forbid we move anybody around. J.P. Crawford is playing like an elite third baseman right yeah, now. Yeah, since Kyle isn't here, since Kyle isn't here, get in all of the points that you disagree with. Hurry up, go, go, go. So yeah, Kyle's right that the iPhone. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going there. Uh, I think I yeah, think but... I think Kyle I think Kyle likes to eat onions. By himself. He eats them raw. Oh, burn. Oh, snap. Um, Come on, Russ. Get him. Hurry up. No, there's not a whole lot. Because every, every time, time we have this argument, argument, I win. Um, um, oh, that, that was a good one. So I guess I would say this, though. Uh, J.P. Crawford really does make their what would you, What would you say Kyle's decision. spirit animal is? Kyle's spirit animal would probably be Tommy Joseph. Like, if he had a Patronus. Ooh, burn. The interesting thing, though, is if Kyle were in a life-or-death situation and sent out Tommy Joseph as the Patronus, he would probably, you know, miss your enemy probably uh, nine out of ten times, give or take, since the All-Star break. Ooh, statistical analysis breakdown of a Tommy Joseph spirit animal. Ooh. Today's really weird. Um, that's, that's about, that's about all I have right now on the Phillies and the Flyers. Uh, how, what point of this, do you think the Phillies going into next season will get a lot of hype? Because this always happens in sports where a team has a surge in the second half. And then we extrapolate the numbers throughout the off season and say, if that were to have continued, do you think they will get picked to be like, you know, a possible playoff team, or do you think they'll just be seen to be a good team next year? I don't know. I, I think it has to be more of they're a good young team. Like, I, I don't think you're going to be putting them in a playoff contending position. I do think that if if most yeah, of the these... The Nats are too good. Team, yeah, like, if, if... I guess the best way to put it is, I think this team, if these young players are able to, to play, even at remotely this, a similar pace to where they are now... I do think that with the right acquisition, either in the offseason or at the deadline next year, like I do think they could challenge for a wild card. That means that we're not looking at Hoskins, you know, performing at a historic rate. We're not looking for, uh, you know, Dubal Herrera to, to crush the ball uh, and, and, like, set new records for triples and doubles, extra base hits and all that. I think as long as you put together a competent lineup that does not include Tommy Joseph, I think you're probably in good shape. Um, and, and a wild card really in in the NL is not that unattainable. Yeah, it is but, pretty but unattainable. As, but, but as as it stands now, they need a better uh, rotation. They the, do you the realize right though, now, Russ, that this is really bad for your Flyers because the Eagles are contending this year. The Phillies all of a sudden are looking like they got a good young core. The Sixers, we believe, should be contending this year. And now it all comes down to your flag guys who you just named four people that I've never heard in my life. Well, here, I'll hit you with another one. Um, you know, in fairness, if Kyle were here, he probably hadn't either. But one of the other guys is Oscar Lindblom, who's been playing on the wing. Uh, top. First or second Oscar's line, been on the wing? Yeah, and Oscar's been a pretty interesting guy through, uh, through the preseason so far, through training camp. 
Um, he actually looks like he might stay up, which would be really cool. Um, That's great. You're no longer having to rely on guys like Scott Lawton to to play out of his mind. So anyway, um, yeah, like the Flyers are probably the the team that's at like the bottom. Um, Well, actually, no, scratch that. If if the Flyers prospects come up and they do a decent job, they're ahead of the Phillies. Agreed. As long as you have Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek, um, they're they're not necessarily going to make the playoffs. Kyle and I have had this argument before. Kyle seems to think that. As long as you field a roster in the NHL, you can make the playoffs. And I disagree with that because if it were possible, the Flyers would have made the playoffs the last few years, which they didn't. All right, let's, uh, let me go to Eagles-Giants before we get killed by Kyle. Okay. Um, what is your perception as a – I don't even know how to classify you. As a non-face-painting uh, Eagles fan – of the current status in terms of the way we are discussing Doug Peterson. So I I think if you're level-headed, you still probably feel about the same that, that the overly passionate, you know, face-painting um, Legion of Doom wearing uh, the spiky pad guy. I don't know what his name is. He's always with the, the pep band. Um, I just thought he was a trash guy. Yeah, whatever he is. So I, I think pretty much everybody at this point now looks at Doug and has the same kind of critique, the play calling, running. And then there's still an issue with um, just his his uh, his answers in press conferences. Like even if you're a casual fan and you listen to him in a press conference, I, I, I don't know if you went back and listened to his, uh, his post-game press conference on Sunday, but... He does not sound like a coach who really knows what's going on. And it's not like the – I don't view it as the same way that like Andy Reid or Bill Belichick would kind of say that's on me and, and take all the blame for their players or say, you know, I got to put the guys in a better position to, to be successful. I view Doug's answers honestly as somebody who sounds really clueless, and it scares me as a rational fan. And I think Is if there one are, that are, sticks out like right away? Like, what was like, an answer that you were like, wow, I don't think he gets it? I don't think I don't... it's necessarily one specific answer. I think it's the idea that when he's talking about the game plan and he's talking about, like, how they got into certain certain situations, like how they ended up in third and long so many times, and then he says things along the lines of, well, I didn't really like the play call there, or we could have used a different play there. Well, yeah, dude, but you're the one who calls the, the plays, like... If you don't like being in third and long, then you need to set your team up better so that they are not in third and long as much as they are. Like, I think it's both games. I don't know what the exact number is, but I think it's been almost equal in the first and second games how many times they've been in a third and long situation. That tells me that the plays you're calling on first and second down have not put your team in position to be successful. And, like, I I think, like, the number one thing, I don't remember where I saw the stat, but Doug said that they got away from the run on first down because it wasn't successful. On plays on uh, this past week's game, on rushes on first down, the Eagles averaged five yards per game. On pass plays, it was 4.8. They had a longer average play on runs on first down than the pass. So that that ideology or that methodology or his rationale for, for why they got away from the run doesn't stand up to those numbers that Doug and Howie and Jeffrey Lurie like to mention so much. Yeah, this, That's uh... my biggest issue. Russ, that uh, I'm back. <clears throat> Hello, good morning. Um, that stat, by the way, came from Ruben Frank. Um, it, it, there's certainly a small sample size there, given the fact they only ran a total of 13 times. Uh, so some number less than that was on first down. But yeah, I think the point still stands. I think what Russ is trying to say is that when Doug talks, it's not that he looks like a buffoon and sounds like a buffoon. Like those are just or a boob, if you prefer. Like those are just. Uh, you know, those are just takey observations. He says things that are wrong. Like, that's what's more concerning. The part where, well, you know, hey, we, we have to pass him more because it was putting us behind on first down. It, that was simply, simply untrue. Um, you go back a year when he didn't know that you could have three headsets on the sideline. Like, concerning, concerning, because he was going to build his entire... Uh, like offensive play call strategy around the fact that he didn't think he could have a, an extra coordinator with a headset. Um, you go back to those fourth down situations last year where he thought the odds were higher to punt rather than kick when, you know, anyone with like an iPhone calculator could figure out or <clears throat> Russ, if you prefer, 
uh, in a janky Android calculator that crashes. Oh, okay, yes. um, Doesn't crash. Could, it's a very reliable calculator. Could figure out that that was incorrect. Um, and then when he says things like, it's on me, Andy Reid was able to say, it's on me. I think, Adam, you may have even mentioned this on Monday. But Andy Reid was able to say it was on me. He had a he had a whole bank of capital of NFL success that he could stand on and say, look, I've been the four NFC championships. I know you might hate me, but I'm actually, I know what I'm doing. And I could say it's on me. Even Chip Kelly, who coached in college and had success his first year and a half in the league before it all went completely south, could reasonably say, at least for a little while there, it's on me. And then after a while, when it's on you enough, well, the problem is you. And like the thing with Doug is it's like there's no track record to lean on when you say it's on me. And every time you say it's on me and I'm going to put that on me, uh, that's a problem. And it kind of points to the that note that the little birdie sent that we rent read on Monday uh, that seemed to get a lot of play on Twitter. And I put it in the bird droppings, and it was like, Doug's too nice. You know, he wants to fall on that sword for his players. The problem is he doesn't, like, have any armor with which to fall with. What's funny like is for a second, I, I actually thought your birdie was going to be Seth Joyner because I saw, like, a quote of him on Comcast where he was talking about how he thinks that Doug was just there to right the ship. So either Seth was listening to the Crossing Broadcaster, I think your birdie is accurate and it's the same one as Seth's. And I... I am fascinated, I must admit, by this whole relationship between Jeff Lurie and Doug Peterson and this notion of hiring a guy not for the long term. And now I just feel the need to evaluate everything Peterson does through that lens. Sorry, I'm muted. Uh, yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> I, like, I think it's... I don't know, like, I don't know what you guys talked about before, but, like, as a fan base, it just feels like, and stop me if you guys already hit on this. Um, we literally talked about Flyers and Phillies and made fun of you and told jokes. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. 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 Uh, that's I don't know how I would have expected anything different. Um, I, I feel like... Uh, by the way, by the way, Kyle, your spirit animal is amazing. Oh, it I is. bet. Wait until you hear about it. It's, I bet. Is it, is it it's Chase Utley? Oh, no, buddy. No, no. God, you're gonna be so. We didn't even. Oh man, we talked about the Phillies, and we didn't even talk about the ninety-seven-five uh, tweet from yesterday. Which, oh god. Oh, I'll get that in a sec. Uh, okay. Regarding the Eagles thing, like Adam, you probably have more vis- visibility into this. I I know football fans everywhere are crazy. I know just from following English Premier League soccer from afar. I actually do, Russ. That, um, you know, when like I feel like like follow Piers Morgan. And he's tweeting every game about firing um, whatever the coach of Arsenal is, Russ. Arsene Wenger. Thank you. I mean, like... like, Arsene Wenger. This happens in other sports. Um, But I feel like, man, this is a weird town. Like, the the Eagles won their opening road game on the division, went to Kansas City, a team that just waxed the Super Bowl champions, and had a better showing against them than anyone expected – they were not only in position to win the game, they were arguably in control of the game for two and a half, almost three full quarters. And you have the rest of the NFC has looked like dog shit at times, like the Giants' genuine dog shit. The Eagles beat the Redskins, and the Cowboys did not look good on Sunday. And we are still here sitting about, like, sitting ready to fire the coach. Like, I, does this, one, does this happen everywhere? And I know this is like a sports talk radio conversation. And two, is it like, is Doug Peterson have that short of a leash and that little like capital in the bank that he like we can't even sustain a an imperfect run pass balance in what was really ultimately a pretty close and well contested road loss to a Super Bowl contender. I think that like really quick, I think the only issue that I run into is like yeah, like other cities do call for their coach's head, but I don't think it happens this early in a guy's career. We're two games into the second season of him as a head coach, and and the kind of vitriol that people have for Doug at this point, who is a you know by all accounts is a likable guy, is a is a good dude. He, uh, the players really like him, maybe a little bit too much. They play hard for him. I mean that that is one thing I don't think that you could say about Sunday's game is it doesn't look like his players quit on him, which means they like him. I would I would imagine, or he's a good motivator. 
But ultimately, like, I, I think he's a better coordinator than he is a head coach. But for it to happen this early in his career is weird. Uh, and, and like, maybe it's, maybe it is actually justified. For as, as weird as Philadelphia fans can be and, and how short, you know, short-tempered we can be and how we want everybody on a short leash because they're not good enough, um, I, I think it is at least a little bit fair, if not strange, that it's so early. I think when I look at it, there's a few mitigating factors. One, not all the other teams have Doug Peterson as their coach, who I don't think is someone that gives you a lot of confidence. Two, I don't think that the other fan bases are listened to as much as the Eagles fan base. Uh, Marvin Lewis is the second longest tenured head coach in the NFL, and he's never won a playoff game. He's been coaching longer than Mike McCarthy and Mike Tomlin and all the other coaches in the NFC East combined, and he still has a job. Uh, That would never happen in Philadelphia. Uh, I also think that what I mean by the listen is the the coaches and the, the owners, they address Phillies fans all the time. Like they start their press conferences with, I know Eagles fans are like, that doesn't happen anywhere else. Everywhere else they just kind of act. Um, it's part of the, the Philadelphia fabric is the, the crazy fan. And it's this stereotype that has now become reality because of stereotype. Um, it's a badge of honor, but it's also a point of embarrassment for a lot of Eagles fans, I think. Um, and I was just going to say also, um, you know, there, there, there's a much more aggressive media. And, and that's not a bad thing. Like, I think an aggressive media is really good compared to, like, if you look at the media and some of these smaller market mid-markets that just sit there and take whatever they're given. Philadelphia is willing to ask the really tough questions. That's why I think you see some really interesting press conferences. Uh, like it is a, what's Milwaukee's up? Media. Like Milwaukee's media isn't going to be going after after their coach. They're not going to be going after like. Well, very surprising. Yeah, but you know what? That, it, you know? I, I would say it's actually the Green Bay because that's all they have. That's why in week five every year. Aaron Rodgers has to give an R-E-L-E-X speech about calming down and, and relaxing. But, you know, I think Tampa Bay is not that intense. Um, so I think it's a combination of a lot of those things. And there was no excitement when Doug Peterson was hired. We weren't doing this to Chip Kelly. Think about it. In Chip Kelly's second season, in Chip Kelly's third season, we were saying, yeah, but he started off 10-6. and six. Give him some slack. I think it's mainly because of Doug. Yeah, your point about the media uh, I, was what I was going to say. Um, the sheer volume, just the sheer volume of people who cover the Eagles is absurd. I know you'll have guys tweet out that, you know, on some given days there are 50 credentialed people there, which is just insane. And... I mean, they're all pretty good. Like, we, we dislike certain guys and whatever. But generally speaking, like, if there is a thread, man, they tug on that until the ball completely unwinds. And I don't know if many cities have that many people that are that persistent. Like, you look at the way Doug got berated. And then yesterday, Frank Reich, like today, I'm looking right now, the cover, of the back cover of the Daily News today, um, which is is. Frank Reich and the headline, Why the Third and Long Face, Reich on the Offense's Nagging Problem. Like, we're two weeks in, and he was getting grilled yesterday about the play calling that he doesn't do. <laughs> like, Doug, and he was getting grilled as to why he doesn't call the plays and how he interacts with the coach. And, like, I guess it's a good thing, Adam. I agree, but it's kind of crazy. I think the best media in Philadelphia is arguably the group of guys covering the Eagles. Like I I'm willing to bet that press conferences at city hall don't frequently get this contentious. Um, and my like, not really an issue. Cause I, I, in, I enjoy it. And I think us debating and, and pressing a coach is a good thing, but it's like, man, like we, we take sports 
like not even so seriously, but it's almost like a wasted like outrage. Like like, you know, we're treating these guys like they're bad politicians when they make a series of, of wrong calls. And I'm not saying yeah, that I just like, yeah. like it, but really quick, really quick uh, because uh, I have to go. I, I just wanted to throw this out there. How long do you think, uh, I guess this is maybe even Adam at a national level, but like, how long do you think the Jim Schwartzes and the Frank Reichs of the world are going to want to have to deal with this? Because I, I see this being a season long thing because I don't think the play calling is going to change so dramatically that, uh, that Reich is going to be off the hook, even though he's not the one who calls the plays. And I think the Schwartz trying to take over the ship narrative is more than likely going to continue. Like, there was another article written about it, I think, yesterday. How long do you think until these guys really do get fed up with the questions? Russ, like, to your to point, for their head coach? Russ, to your point, I don't think that they dislike this. If truly Jim Schwartz wants to make a move, then this is amazing. Like, having your head coach constantly questioned and you being separated from it. Frank Reich, I'm sure, wants to be at a head coach opportunity. He went from OC to OC. But he is now being separated from these bad decisions. As, an, as a coordinator, to not be blamed for it and for it to all to go on your head coach, they probably appreciate that. And this is great for their careers to not be facing the brunt of this issue. To be fair, Frank Reich's on the back page of the Daily News today, so... <laughs> I don't, I don't think he is sidestepping it, which is kind of nuts because he isn't the guy who calls the plays. Yeah, I just... All right, cool. all right well, Russ, do you have any yeah, final yeah. points? Um, well, we didn't get our, you know, what they would like to call the 35% uh, sports talk radio content today. I hope you do. You guys do cover the uh, the Chase Utley tweet. Um, whatever you guys think about that and, and about the rest of the uh, the Eagles conversation, I'm, I'm really excited. Long-time listener. First time call. Well, wait, what I'll do you think about? Listen. What do you think about the Chase Utley tweet? The Chase Utley tweet was one of the dumbest things the fanatic has ever tweeted out. I think what was it? Goes in their in their top five. It was uh, about Chase Utley getting cheers last night. Is that a violation? What are your thoughts? Six one zero six three two zero nine seven five. It was so bad on so many levels that I tagged Jamie Lynch, and I even kind of gave him a little bit of of props in a sense that like. I get that sometimes people on, you know, they have a right to be angry with people on Twitter. But, like, who thought this was a good idea? Who is there sitting down with the station's account, knowing that the, the station accounts are typically under fire from Twitter, decided to say, hey, you know what, like, this is a really good topic. Like, first of all, this shouldn't be a topic on Sports Talk Radio. I don't think it should. Everybody, like, Utley was, was probably one of the most beloved players in, in history. If you want to go with the narrative about Utley being more loved than Howard and Rollins and was it fair... Was it a race thing? Was it because of their perceived lack of hustle or, or, or you know, Utley's willingness to run through a wall? Like, that's a narrative that you, I guess, can run if you really want to. I think it's a tired narrative, but go ahead. Like, have at it. But, like, to, to question whether or not Utley deserves to have an ovation or have cheers is stupid. The Phillies aren't fighting for a playoff spot. And, and like, yeah, is it nice to watch the young guys go up and win? Absolutely. Can you also cheer for one of your all-time favorite players? Yes. Like, I, I don't know why that's a big deal. And I don't, I think, like, maybe this is where the the idea of Philly fans uh, as a whole, um, you know, getting a little bit too invested in their in their teams to some extent or, like, getting stuck in old narratives. Like, I think this is where you kind of see, like, the generational difference. Like, older people that I know hated the fact that Utley got cheered in some way because, like, that's not what you do in Philadelphia. But, like, the younger people or people who I think are more level-headed fans or fans of more than just one team in Philadelphia were like, no, Utley's one of the all-time greats. Why would you not cheer him? People cheered for Brian Dawkins when he w played for Denver, you know? Like, and I think those guys are, are almost, in some way, shape, or form, similarly beloved by their fan bases. So I don't... I just don't get why that would have been a topic, and I don't get why the station or whoever was running that Twitter account would have thought that was a good idea to put out to the people. Uh, you guys have a great day. I'm going to hang up and listen. Hey, Russ. Um, man, it is interesting because it doesn't make any sense, and I don't know if I really want to spend a lot of energy on it. Kyle, you are the doctor of everything Utley. Uh, beyond just the tweet, like... Yeah, I mean, Chase Utley is, has a golden key to the city for the rest of his life. I, I don't even understand it.
Uh, yep, there I'm muted again. Um, yeah, look, this happened. This happened last year. Uh, I was just going back through some posts I wrote. Um, I guess uh, pretty close to a year ago. I guess it was late August when Utley made his return, and I had a whole um, series of posts that day of videos of his return and um, every photo that I could wrangle from USA Today and Getty. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, there were people last year who thought it was too much, and this is upon his return. Um, I know they needed something to talk about yesterday, and I don't, I don't know how much either Jason or whoever was on with him. I think Harry was out. Really, actually believe that that's a thing, but it's a good way to stir up calls and have people like us call in and like you know be outraged that they could even bring it up. But I feel like, like, I don't know. Like it's just such a tired topic. Like there's really not much else to be said about it, other than the fact. Um, Phil, who writes for me yesterday, is, is kind of always pitching ideas, and he was like, hey, what do you think about a post like saying that maybe we overdo it with Chase and comparing him to Howard and Rollins? And I immediately shot it down on several grounds. One was like, no, he's my favorite player of all time. How dare you besmirch his, his good name? Um, but two is like, this is a conversation that's been had before, and he literally said to me, he's like, he brought up the Marcus Hayes argument. Like people love Chase, uh, but not Howard. There's one, you know, very glaring and visual reason that I can think of for that. And I think that is such a. There's a lot of people who feel that way, um, or or want to make that argument. I don't know about a lot of people, but some people. And I think it's it's like completely, it's completely off base. Um, I my counter to that is always Cole Hamels. Like Cole Hamels was a guy who probably had about the same level of being liked here as Rollins or Howard. And at times the fan base was frustrated with him. At times we love them. Um, and, you know, they don't get the sort of like deep emotional reaction that Chase gets. And it doesn't get whiter than Cole Hamels. And I just think like Chase tapped into something in fans that is not uh, that a lot of players don't tap into. Rod Brendamore tapped into it. Allen Iverson tapped into it. Um, part of it is the effort that he played the game, but I mean, generally speaking, it was the fact that all the dude wanted to do was win. Like, you know, there were quotes from him from way back that he would prefer to play in an empty ballpark and not worry about the distractions. Like, he did not take a playoff. And all these things are cliches, but they're legit true. Um, doesn't hurt that he, you know, had an epic quote after the team won the World Series, and then the next season tied Reggie Jackson for home runs in a World Series, hitting five against the Yankees uh, with at least two, maybe three of those off CC Sabathia. So, like, he backed it up with his play on the field. But the narrative is just old. Like, fans like him, like, stop trying to, um, you know, figure out why and compare it to other players. Like, there's a million factors that go into it. Just let us have, like our favorite player of all time and stop making a thing out of it. And to ask that question on sports talk radio, it just points it like it, it, you know, it's not even worth debating. It's just the fact that it like everything we talk about and it's like, Hey, how can we drum up calls by saying the most inane thing? Like, that's it. Like that's it in a nutshell. And it's just, it's complete contempt for your audience and total disingenuous conversation. If uh, someone were to say, couldn't you see the image of why they like Ali more than Howard? My response would be, absolutely. And that image would be Howard's inability to hit an off-speed pitch on the outside of the plate. That is the image. Like that, That's the part of this that I don't understand is Chase Ali has now had multiple seasons of playing away from the Phillies when he was supposedly not good anymore and he's a valuable member and has had impactful plays still after he's left, and Howard is playing in the minor leagues. And it's not a knock against Howard. I have a Howard jersey. I loved Ryan Howard. I still love Ryan Howard. I would applaud Ryan Howard if he came back. But Chase Utley had the throw to home. Chase Utley has the dives into the outfield. Chase Utley is the leader of the clubhouse. There's one leader, and then Howard was the home run guy, and home runs fade away faster than leadership. And Utley had the quote after the World Series, like you said. 
He had all of that. He had the hair. He had everything. Rollins, for that season when he was like the MVP, incredible. When he hit the triple to beat the Mets and to win the division, it was incredible. Rollins has also had success, but Ali was a leader. And for a town that has had one championship in the last, what is it, 33 years, the guy that led that will be forever thanked. And it goes back, like, I don't want to say come up with better topics and stuff. Is it weird cheering a guy the second time? Yes. It's definitely a little bit weird because the first time that there's all this emotions. But also, think about this. Probably the amount of people that were in the, the stadium the first time compared to the second time, it's probably not a ton of crossover. So you know what? If I went to the stadium and not having a chance to applaud Chase Utley, I want to get those claps in because I wasn't there for the, for the parade. I was in Hastings, Nebraska, and it was something that's always eaten at me that I didn't get to see a parade. So you know what? Yeah, I'm cheering for that guy because I, I have all this pent-up love. I would cheer for Rollins and, and, and Howard, everybody that came back. I would cheer for Kevin Stocker at this point. So for me, it's like, yeah, I, I get it why you're trying to drum it up, but I think you're doing more harm than good, especially in the Twitter community that already thinks that you're just pandering to the lowest common denominator. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'll say um, I, the first time in the last month that I've even entertained the idea of going to a Phillies game, at this point in the season, since the all-star break was like, Oh man, the Dodgers are coming now it's midweek and it's been busy and I'm not going, but like I was not there at the first game last year. I was, I was down the shore. So it was like, I would go there. I want to cheer for Chase Utley too. And I didn't get to do it before. And to your point, there's probably a lot of people that was the case. The other thing about Utley just as a player is he was also the guy to add on to your list there who Roy Halladay said there was it's unlike anyone he's ever played with. He was the guy who there were countless stories about him showing up every day, being the first person there watching video at one o'clock. Um, he's the guy who is still playing and he's batting two thirty. but many of the Dodgers coaches and players credit him with being, you know, the leader, like the senior statesman on one of the best teams in baseball. And sure enough, despite the fact that age and injuries have, you know, contributed to a rather substantial decline, he gets uh, non-insignificant playing time with them and has a series of plays that you can look on over the last two years, not the least of which was the slide uh, against the Mets, where he has contributed um, very specifically in big moments for them, despite the fact that you know, he's older and, and not what he once was. And then he strung together, I forget what it was. Was it a hitting streak late last season or something? And people were calling out his batting average. And um, it was like a hitting streak or a three-game home run streak, something like that, where he like has these like mini resurgences. Um, you know, how, again, Howard's not playing. Rollins is not playing. Uh, you want to look at someone like Worth. Yeah, like we hated him after he left. Also a white guy, you know, and, and so people are always trying to make this argument. Worth was only here for four years, though. I mean, Utley came up in 03. Utley made the last out at Veterans Stadium. Like, Utley was a part of this rebuild um, only slightly less longer than Rollins was. Um, and you could argue that, you know, him and Rollins were the only two guys who really sustained it over the course of, you know, the better part of a decade. So there's just a number of reasons, and I hate when people just try and reduce it to the fact that, you know, whatever. Rollins also would occasionally tweak the fan base and occasionally get benched by the coach for not running it out. And those things like eat away at the same way Doug Peterson has no capital to start with. Those things eat away at your positive capital. So as much as people like Rollins, when there's a slump the next year and the coach has to bench him and then Rollins says the fans, uh, you know, care too much, like those things eat away at the way people feel about you. But all of that said, Every time, with the exceptional worth, who's been a little bit of a, an outlier, every time one of these guys steps foot in Philadelphia for the rest of their lives, particularly that core group of Rollins, Howard, Utley, Hamels, Ruiz, 
Lidge, even though he wasn't here for that long. I mean, those guys are going to get standing ovations every time they step into that ballpark for alumni day and for retirement ceremonies and hall of fames, you know, Phillies hall of fame ceremonies. And they should. So like, I think people now realize how, how good and lucky we were for those five years of sports uh, and how bad it's been for the last five years that I think we're even probably looking back. And I know there were times during 2010 specifically where the Phils struggled midseason and we were out to get Worth at times or out to get Howard. And I think now we look back on it and we're like, man, um, maybe we should have like taken the chill pill because that was that was a super, super special group. Yeah, speaking of uh, other things that are annoying, just to get it back really quick to Eagles-Giants. And again, we're going to do a full preview like we did for the Chiefs last Friday. We'll do it for the Giants this Sunday, uh, on Friday. Um, I'm at work, and there's been this one sales guy. They have me sitting. Uh, I, finally, I have a desk, which is great. And I that's where I watch film and prepare for shows and stuff like that. And congratulations, congratulations on, your, on desk. your desk. Thank you. Yeah, the, our, we moved into a new office. It's ridiculous. Like, it's 40,000 square feet. It's just insane. What did you but have the last office Was it a mat? Was it like a mat? Say, say it one more time. I said, what did you have before? Was it like a mat or like a, an easel? Uh, you sound very excited about the desk. Yeah, no, it was Adam just walks around the office becoming the office mayor and like like finding like like chairs to sit in. And like I couldn't get anything done. Like it was like, it was awful. And everyone would be like, you don't even need, you just improv everything. And I was like, I don't think you understand how like work gets done. Anyway, so uh, there's I sit near where all the salespeople are, and they love to talk to me about their fantasy teams and football. And then, like, what happens is they don't actually ask questions; they just kind of tell me what they think, which is like my least favorite thing ever. Um, just because they just walk up, they're like, "Hey, man, there's no way the Giants are going to go zero and three, right?" And I was like, "So you think that because?" you don't think that the Giants can start off 0-3, that the Eagles intrinsically have to go 1-2? and He's like, yeah, but the Giants just had like a really big loss. I went, the Eagles just had a really big loss. And he was like, yeah, I know, but like, I don't know, man. All the big season predictions were saying that the Giants would go to the Super Bowl. Like, the teams that get those predictions don't start 0-3. And I was like, did you ever hear about, like, you know, maybe those predictions were wrong. Like, maybe we need to recalculate. Like, people are like, man, they did say that hurricane was going to miss landfall, and now they're saying they're going to hit it. I don't know. Originally, they said it was going to miss. And to me, it's, it's so funny. Like, people put all this stock into predictions, and it's like, uh, the one thing that I've enjoyed saying lately is, um, you know, Kyle, when when you have a kid and the doctor goes, you know, the due date is predicted to be October 13th, and then people plan for the entire, and everyone goes, every time someone has to go, it's going to be October 13th, and they plan vacation on October 13th, and they do all this stuff. The actual accuracy of that prediction from a doctor is 4%. But we hold on to that prediction like it's 96%. And I'm just, it's just funny that like, you know, this whole narrative of the Giants, there's no way they start off 0-3. No, no, no. With that offensive line, they could start off 0-7. I have looked at their schedule. It could be a bloodbath. They have, like, like, I will say this. The only coach that's getting it worse right now than Doug Peterson is Ben McAdoo. Because it is getting really bad up here. And rightfully so. That offense stinks. But Eli stinks. So I, I just think it's been really funny for me to get the New York flavor of this whole, yeah, man, they're not starting 0-3. I just think it's ridiculous. It's interesting because, I mean, on paper, you're like, all right, you got Eli, he's old. But you got Odell, you got Brandon Marshall, you got Shepard. Like, that looked like a formidable offense. And granted, like, Beckham's still banged up and, you know, probably doesn't have to keep the defense as honest as he would when he's fully healthy. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of crazy how bad they've looked. And 
you know, compared to the Eagles. Like here's a team that most people thought was going to have a a you know somewhat dominant offense, um, and like they are after two games, like meter sticks behind where the Eagles are at. Um, I will say this about Peterson, and you know, just sort of to put a bow on this whole conversation, because he he gets a lot of criticism. Um, and I'm always involved in that group, I think. And I think most of it is deserved. One kind of fascinating thing is that the Eagles managed to be in most games. And I think the Chiefs game is a good example. And that was probably a lot of the defense, and mostly the defense. But even last year, the Cowboys and Giants games on the road, like games that against better teams, they really had no business being in or, or being on the cusp of winning. Um, and I've seen people, I think Sean mentioned it in his post for us the other day, two or three plays go different last year, and the Eagles are 9-7, and seven, or, or potentially even 10-6. and six. Uh, They were very close. Like, you could you could make that case for a lot of teams, but the Eagles were very close to flipping a few of those games and being a playoff team Peterson's first year, and none of these conversations will happen. So the thing I'll say about him is um, I'm always amazed. It seems like that offense finds an ability to get the ball down the field and score, even though the play calls are maddening, even though they'll run 50 screens, they won't run the ball, the offense will look out of rhythm, Carson Wentz will be kind of frantic in the pocket. There's a lot of times where they get the ball downfield and they're within the 10-yard line. It's happened a lot last year, and it happened some on Sunday where you're like, how the hell is this team, like, how did this drive produce 76 yards and a score uh, on Sunday? How the hell are we within a throw of tying this game with six seconds to go? Um, Peterson seems to possess like that weird ability um, to extract like blood from a stone when there's you know when it's you're in the middle of the desert. That's a bungled analogy, but I think you get my point. Like there there's are, there are some times where it's it's pretty miraculous the Eagles are even still in a game. And I think Peterson should get some credit for that. Uh, I will say Jay Wright at times has done that uh, early in his Nova career where he was like, he had nothing and was going up against a top five team in the country. And they would just grind the shit out of the clock to the point where it was a three point game with 20 seconds to go. And you're like, how did we get here? That happens a lot with the Eagles over the last uh, year and two games. The only thing I want to say to that is about adjusted expectations. So about this season, we're in week going into week three. Our expectations were meh, eight and eight, you know, nine and seven, maybe seven and nine. And, you know, you got to watch out because the Giants and Cowboys. My adjusted expectations are that if the Eagles aren't fighting for a playoff spot or making a playoff spot, it's disappointing by what we've seen thus far. And that's my adjusted expectation. By that's that and that's the issue that I have the Chiefs game is before the game. If you told me yes, like it would be, it, we would hang in the game, be great, awesome. But my adjusted expectation at the end of the third quarter was, holy shit, we should win this game because we're winning this game, and and anything less than that is disappointing. My also thing that I'm going to say about the Eagles is I'm not shocked because let's really break down the Eagles and where they stand in this division. The Eagles have the best quarterback in this division. Like, genuinely. He's better than Kirk Cousins, Eli Manning, and Dak Prescott. He is. I think that the Eagles, arguably, have the best receiving core in the division. That's not actually true. Let me take that back. But they have argued... No, they don't. I was going to say they have the best wide receiver, Alshon Jeffrey. But I would say that if it's it's not as far for us to the pack. I think the Eagles have uh, a the the number one defensive line in the division. I think you can make an argument that they have the best linebacking core in the division. And I could also think that you can make an argument that they have the best safeties in the division. Offensive line goes to the Cowboys. Um, tight end is, a, is an argument. I would say most of the time it goes to Jordan Reed, but he's not healthy. Um, and so I look at it like that and I go, I do think the Eagles are actually more talented than a lot of these teams. Um, 
but I, I, I kind of look at it now and I go, my adjusted expectations are Doug should be battling for a playoff spot if not getting there. Uh, I look at the NFC and I go, I could see two teams coming out of the NFC North, whether that's Packers like Lions, Packers Vikings, Lions Vikings. I could see two teams coming out of the NFC South, which would be Panth- maybe Panthers who are undefeated, Bucks or Falcons, and I would probably lean more towards Falcons, Bucks, and the West is getting one in the Saints. So if the East, which is all fighting for two, they're not getting three this year with Washington, Dallas, Giants, and the Eagles. So they need to win the division, I think, to really secure it because I just think you're going to get maybe two from those other divisions. Um, yeah, I, that's my, I'm not okay anymore with eight and eight. You know, they need to make a run because I think they're a better team right now than the Giants, Cowboys, and Washington. Those are my adjusted expectations. I'm with you on two of the three. I don't think I need to see a lot more and a lot more bad stuff from the Cowboys before uh, I'm ready to hop on on that boat. Um, now, maybe maybe it was just because the Giants are so bad. Cowboys looked really good in the first game and gave the Packers all they could handle last year in the playoffs. Uh, so I'm not ready. I'm not ready to, hop, ready to on hop on with you there. But, but Different um, team than last year. They really have lost a lot of guys. That's my thing yeah. about the Cowboys is uh, their starting safety is Jeff Heath. Their linebackers were not sustainable. They lost a lot of guys in their D-line. They were playing rookie cornerbacks, and now those rookie cornerbacks are getting hurt. And Dak Prescott is the number one most thrown-to wide receiver in the NFL, and he is 35th in catches. Jason Witten is not explosive. Ezekiel Elliott looks out of – like, I genuinely think he looks fat. But I do think that – look, you're right. They just lost in Denver, which is a really hard place to play. The thing about this division is we are playing the AFC West, who I think is going to be getting three teams in the playoffs. Chiefs, Raiders, uh, and Broncos are great, and the Chargers are good too. I don't think the NFC East is going to fare well against any of them. And some of us are going to have to go to Seattle. Uh, Some of us are going to have to go to Arizona, which are going to be tough. Um, And the Rams look a little bit better. So I think all of the NFC East is going to be beaten down. And it's going to come down to, is Doug going to shit the bed in Dallas like he did last year? Because that game, to me, could be the whole playoff. It could be the whole season. Uh, Yeah, totally, totally agreed. Totally agreed. I got nothing else. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right, we'll break down the Giants game on Friday, um, and then oh, I'm getting a little reverb. Do you have anything else? To, yeah, before I just close up. Uh, no, we could wrap. Uh, yeah, we're gonna be doing it on Friday, Russ. Uh, we're gonna make sure that he gets his prediction on time on Friday. Uh, that's it. And if anyone ever, ever questions Chase Utley to them. Punch him in the face and then let him know that Kyle Scott sent you. That is not true. Don't do that. But I know that's how Kyle really feels. So love you guys. <laughs> love you guys. Have a great week. Kyle, you want to add something? No, no. We'll talk to you guys on. Fr- we'll talk to you guys on Friday, guys. See you then.